Welcome once again to the Harris Happening here on the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com. And guess what? It's time for The Vet Is In. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital joins us right now. We're going to talk about your uh, pets, your dogs, your kitties, your snakes, your gerbils, whatever you got. And uh, we got some great tips for you. We got some uh, interesting questions from uh, a couple of listeners here as well. And uh, Dr. Doreen Winning, thank you so much once again for joining us here on KFGO. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here today. I've got a question that was that was posed to me right after we chatted last time. Apparently, somebody wants to know if they should try something that they've seen on television called pretty litter for their cats. And I think this is one of those where if the cat, you know, when the cat pees, it can if it turns a certain color, something may be wrong with your kitty cat. Right. So pretty litter is a cat litter that's designed to help you monitor the pH of your kitty's urine. So it will turn certain colors if it's an acid uh, to acid of urine, or it will turn another color if it's too alkaline. And there's a certain range that uh, the color of the spectrum that will be a normal range. And so depending if your cat has problems with struvite crystals or calcium oxalate crystals, or even blood in the urine, the litter can help you determine when your cat needs to be seen by the veterinarian. So it's a nice tool. It's not perfect, but it's a nice tool for owners to use at home if their cat has certain conditions where we might need to be monitoring the pH of the urine, like if they've had stones in the past or urinary tract blockages. So if there is a color change, they should give you a call or should they wait to see if there's more, uh, if it continues or what, what would you suggest? So it needs to be used in conjunction or ideally it should be used in conjunction with your veterinarian. So your veterinarian will help guide you and let you know, well, you are going to want the urine uh, to be in this pH range. And so when the when the kitty litter is a certain color, you're going to want to call me. So definitely is a tool that can help you work with your veterinarian to know when your cat should be seen for urinary tract problems. It's just like having a kid, Dr. Winning, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's what I tell my clients. It's like having a perpetual two-year-old. You can, especially with training, you can uh, try to break bad habits with your pets, but they're <laughs> they're always willing to revert back to the old problems and behavioral uh, problems that you wouldn't want to necessarily see. So it, it can be challenging at times, but they're also very rewarding when you can can work with them and get them trained the way you want them. And if it turns brown, that means fall's coming, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Dr. <It> Doreen, <laughs> Dr. Doreen Wedding, our special guest here on the Harris Happening, and uh, she joins us once a month here on the show. We talk about all kinds of pet things. She's with the Valley Veterinary Hospital. Uh, let's talk about fall. As long as, long as I brought that up, uh, talk a little bit about what you know, some of the things we should be uh, keeping an eye out for uh, when the fall comes around. We were talking before we started the show something about uh, 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 mums, the flower. Well, it just struck me, you know, you see mums all over, chrysanthemums right now in all the garden centers. It's really a fall flower, and I love chrysanthemums, and I, I want to plant them in my garden. And so one of the things about chrysanthemums that a lot of people probably don't know is we get insecticides from them. Pyrethrins come from chrysanthemums. 
and pyrethrins are effective flea and tick prevention. And so the plants themselves have pyrethrins in very low amounts. It's not enough to be toxic. If your pet eats them, yes, they could have some stomach upset, but there's not enough pyrethrins in those plants. Uh, we do know that cats are more sensitive to pyrethrins than dogs, so you really have to be careful with flea and tick preventatives in cats. You never, ever want to use a product that's labeled for dogs. You never want to put that on your cat simply because it may contain pyrethrins, and dogs are a lot more tolerant of pyrethrins than cats are. So um, even, you know, I think about flea and tick shampoos. A lot of people will use flea and tick shampoos all throughout the year. And, I, you know, if, you're, if that's your sole use for flea and tick shampoos, they aren't a, a real effective control of um, these insects. But bottom line, you want to look at your flea and tick product that you have at home and if you are using it on your cat, make sure it's labeled for safe use in cats. Mm -hmm. And another thing to think about is those topical spot-on products that we use for flea and tick control in dogs, again, can be toxic to cats. So the recommended label guidelines are typically you're going to want to separate your dog from your cat after application on the dog for up to 72 hours to make sure that product is dried and safe for your cat to rub up against your dog. Wow, really? Okay. Hey, speaking of uh, ticks, by the way, uh, as the temperatures get colder, will we start seeing them disappear a bit? You know, I'm up at my farm on this beautiful day up near Devil's Lake, and yeah, the tick population, although my dogs still have their tick, their Soresto tick collars on, the tick population up here has really dwindled. And in fact, I haven't seen any ticks for, oh my gosh, probably since mid-July. So it's really dried up and, and around here is not a problem. Now, if you go into the Minnesota lakes area, yeah, ticks are probably going to be more of a problem <laughs> there. And so never, ever, you know, forget your tick prevention. If you're going especially into that lakes area in Minnesota, I would recommend if you're going in January to put your flea tick prevention on. And that's kind of why I like the Sresto collar because it lasts for anywhere from five to eight months, depending on how much your dog swims. So don't forget about that because we do see those ticks at all times of year. It's so surprising every year when we see, I mean, we've had them come in in December uh, in February. So it just, it happens and it's, you know, I don't have an explanation for it other than there's got to be a warm enough area somewhere under that blanket of snow uh, in the leaves that the ticks can survive. So be aware of that. Dr. Doreen Winding, our guest today here on KFGO's The Hair is Happening. Uh, before we take a break, let's talk a little bit about mice. Of course, the temperature is getting cold, colder again, and uh, mice are starting to move indoors, obviously. And, uh, and matter of fact, I had one a few weeks ago, but I caught the little bugger, and he's, he's gone now. He's toast. But, uh, you know, I was always wondering, is, is mice uh, a good or a bad deal for cats? I mean, I can't believe that that's... I mean, I know they're hunters, but 
that can't be healthy to go and kill a mouse, can it? Well, you know, it's natural for cats to want to do that. They're predators. And we know that mice, we don't want mice around. They can spread disease. And, of course, they're vermin. So I've noticed out here in my garage, if I have my garage door up uh, throughout the day, if I'm out there working, yes, mice are going to come in. And so we have to think about how are we going to control that? Because it's, you know, especially if you live in a rural area like this, it's hard to control mouse populations. You've got grain bins, you've got, you know, all sorts of good places for mice to get a food source. So what if they do get into your building? How are we going to control them? And you know, what I use is just the plain old snap mouse traps. Those are my favorite. And some people have used, of course, rodenticides, but I really, really do not allow them to be on my property simply because I'm worried about my pets um, either ingesting something that has died of a rodenticide or eating the rodenticide itself. And so if your pet does get into it, there are certain types of rodenticides or mouse poisons that don't have any antidote. And so it really can be tricky sometimes getting these dogs or cats, for that matter, back, you know, into a healthy state. And and a lot of pets can die simply from ingesting the mouse poison. So, you know, having seen that throughout my career, I really don't want that for my pets. And I'm very, very careful about that. And so that's why I use snap traps. And, you know, I also think about with my garage, making sure that, you know, anything in there that could be a source for food for mice, mice are going to want food. Uh, in addition to warm environments, so making sure that food source is sealed up or put up and away in mouse-proof containers. What are the so just something to think about this fall? One of the one of the things that happened to me this was several years ago, but we had a mouse in the house and uh, the snap trap went off, and I heard and Mac, you, you, they can scream. By the way, folks, I don't know if you've ever had this. They can scream. They can let out a yell. And this one did, and I went over to flip the light on, went over to, and he got out of the trap. And I was so, I'm going, how did, why did he get out of the trap? How could that possibly happen? But I got him the next day. So Was it a snap trap, Bob? Y- yeah. Wow. Your, your snap trap needs a new spring. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, usually what I do when I have a snap trap, I don't, I don't hang on to it. If it catches one, the snap trap, the mouse, everything goes out. I'm, I'm one of those guys that don't want to even get close to a mouse. Sorry about that. but. You, well, you know, and that's the thing, too. A lot of people don't want to have to deal with the little mouse corpse. But I've gotten so, you know, it is it is what it is. And I, I, I've, I've been, had my hands in worse. Yeah. <laughs> You're a vet. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> hey, folks, we have to take a break. Dr. Doreen winning our special guest tonight here on KFGO's Harris Happening. We'll be back. We'll talk about some grain-free diets in just a couple of moments here on the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com.
We're back with more of the Saturday edition of The Vet Is In here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital is joining us. And uh, before we get to that grain-free diet I was talking about, we got another couple of things we want to talk about as far as uh, uh, preparing for fall for your pets. And you've brought up something interesting uh, uh, while we were uh, in the break there. We were talking about fireplace logs. And, of course, folks are going to start lighting those up. And I know every, every dog I've ever owned, loaned, I ever owned loved to chew wood. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I've had some cases where dogs have gotten into those fireplace logs. And they're basically compressed sawdust and wax. And, you know, you've got a puppy in the house or a dog that really like, likes to get into things and chew and fire starter logs can present a problem in that they swallow all that compressed sawdust and wax, and it kind of expands in their belly, and it can create foreign body obstruction if they eat too much of it. So when I was working with my fireplace the other day, I started thinking about that, and, and over the years, what I've seen this time of year, and, and that's one of them. It's an interesting thing because you wouldn't think it would create a problem, but it certainly can. And so just making sure too, as we are starting to get back to work and, you know, the pets in the home, we've talked about this before, Bob, but, you know, pets are now facing a challenge because they've had us home all summer and we're going to go back to work eventually. And how do we handle that with our pets? And, you know, pet proofing the house. And I will say that crate training our pets is always best. And I was talking to a client just yesterday about that. And, you know, how do I do this? How do I get my dog ready for going back to work? And, you know, the client was explaining to me that, you know, she runs all over the house now when I'm at work and she's getting into trouble. Crate training, if you can start crate training your dog and getting them used to that wonderful bedroom that they have now, <laughs> that is ideal. Um, so try doing that. Um, it just makes it easier. And then four, uh, four to five hours is probably what I like to see best for breaks in the kennel. So making sure that there would be somebody if at all possible, to get home in that four to five hour range and let the pet out so that they're not in there a full eight hours a day. They really should be able to go and relieve themselves and get out of the kennel if you're uh, a friend, at least once. If you're a friend and, do, and does that for a person that you know, you are going to have some of the most friendly people, uh, puppies that are going to love you to death every time they see you walk through the door. <laughs> Yes, just my, absolutely. Just, just That's my thoughts. absolutely the case. <laughs> and, you know, my dog, I, I've talked about this before, too. One of my dogs was absolutely hated her crate, her kennel. And I have wire kennels in the house. Now, I don't use them in the car, and that's a whole nother topic. But in the house, they have wire kennels. And one of my dogs pre- prefers to have her wire kennel covered so that she feels more secure And they all have little stainless steel water buckets in them that are um, snapped to the uh, wire of the kennel. You can buy those double snaps, you know, with a snap on each end. And you can 
just hook up your little metal one quart bucket or whatever, how big, however big your bucket you need in there for water. And that's kind of her room. And she, and she gets special treats when she goes into her room. And that's the only time she gets that special treat. So really my dogs now prefer that I'm gone because they, <laughs> they know when I walk out the door, it's going to be happy time. They get their treats. So it, it teaching them the positive things about kennels and crates is important. And I will say now, you know, if you do need to travel with your pet, um, you know, going back and forth, even from the vet's office, I have a vehicle where I can keep dog kennels in the back and I use types of Vera kennels or plastic kennels that uh, you can secure down in the back of your vehicle. I have an SUV that I have my dog kennels in. Um, it's just as much easier to travel with your pet when you know they're safe, they're secure, and uh, not able to get to you while you're driving. That's so important, not not to have the distraction or the projectile if you have to suddenly stop. See, I got, I got a note here which, which uh, goes on to that uh, specific subject there about uh, crates. A person said that they bought a crate at a, a garage sale. Uh, what do I have to do to clean it out as far as my dog not recognizing they used to belong to another dog? Is that a problem? You know, I probably would just use a 1 to 10 dilution of bleach and just spray it in there. And, you know, take the kennel apart, spray it down. You can buy cleaners. It, the problem is right now, Bob, it's so hard to get cleaners you know, disinfectant cleaners. And so I just use regular household bleach that seems to be available and spray it down, take the kennel apart, spray it down and wipe it out good and you should be good to go. All right, now let's see here. We've got about uh, four or five minutes left to go here. Should we go through the hunting kit real quick or or do you want to talk about grain-free diets? You know, let's just quick talk about the hunting kit because I've also had this question come up in the office. How can I prepare for hunting season? What do I need to do? Well, first of all, those dogs should be getting into condition now because hunting season is going to start very soon. And so getting them into shape and not having them just go full speed ahead suddenly in hunting season because that is going to lead to injuries. So conditioning, number one. Number two, hunting kit. Uh, What should I have in my hunting kit? Well, the obvious bandaging materials, of course. Uh, Most hunters know all that. But, you know, one thing that I really like to have in hunting kits is a pain reliever. And so talk to your veterinarian now about what kind of pain relief options can I have for my dog And also, when should I use that? What is it indicated for? So if my dog has a lameness that comes up while they're hunting, what about if it has a cut? You know, should I give pain reliever at that point? So talk to your vet about that. And it's a good time to go in for a physical because I found that just being able to talk about these things with people who are getting ready for hunting season is valuable. And having those tips and tricks that you can use for out in the field and uh, knowing what to do when certain events occur. 
And if you really want to upset people like me, uh, you put a, put one of those uh, little flatbed uh, things on the back bumper and put your dog in a crate and, t- and tape it back, back there. Or I should say, uh, you know, uh, strap it back you there. Have you really seen that, Yes, Bob? I've that seen is... that. It's so sad. Oh. I wanted to pull the guy over, but, you know, what power do I have? So Yeah, that's interesting. That's crazy, huh. ladies and gentlemen. All right, before we go, grain-free diets. You want to touch about that? We've got about another two and a half minutes to go. Yeah, so grain-free diets. And, again, a topic that has come up recently in the office. You know, if your diet of your dog it has a list of it being like uh, venison and pea or lentils and whatever – Check the back of the label because you might think you're feeding an all-encompassing, all-inclusive diet that's uh, complete and balanced for your dog. But there has been a link shown between grain-free diets and heart disease. And so I'm still kind of um, surprised, I guess, when I see there's so many dogs still coming into the office that are on grain-free diets. And very few of them truly, truly need grain-free diets. What most dogs are allergic to in their diet is going to be the protein source. So look more closely at the protein source and don't automatically go to thinking, oh, grain-free. And I, I kind of wish some of these diets would disappear from from the shelves, but, but they're still out there. And, you know, I just had somebody come in a couple days ago that was feeding a pea-based diet and that you really have to turn the bag over and look at the back and make sure there's some source of grain in that diet because dogs do need grain as a carbohydrate source. Wow, very interesting. Uh, And if you have any questions, by all means, consult your veterinarian and uh, also with Dr. Doreen Winning as well over the Valley Veterinary Hospital. As we wrap up here, let's give the the folks uh, the info again as far as uh, where you're located, phone number, et cetera, et cetera. We're at Valley Veterinary Hospital on 3210 Main Avenue here in Fargo. Our phone number is 232-3391, and you can certainly reach us at valleyveterinary.net. And uh, they should probably give a call ahead of time, uh, too, because of the COVID protocols and stuff. You still, you've loosened, yeah. up, you, you, you use, uh, loosened it up a little bit, as I understand, but uh, you still yeah. got some stuff going, right? Yep, that's right. We're, we're not doing curbside anymore, but we are very busy. So if you're thinking your pet is coming up due for vaccines, all ahead well in advance sounds good dr doreen winning thank you so much for joining us here on kfgo and the hair is happening and of course you'll be back soon again with it takes two with amy and jj thanks a lot bob